Welcome to lucky number 13. Yes, this is the 13th episode of the Driving You Crazy podcast. I am Denver 7 traffic anchor Jason Luber. I am the overnight producer here at Denver 7, Joseph Peters. You can find us both on Twitter. I'm Joseph Denver 7. He's Denver 7 traffic. You can email us with your traffic questions. It's drivingyoucrazypodcast at gmail.com. Jason, I was born on a Friday the 13th. Hopefully 13 is not the number where we get canceled on this program. Third, really? And you've been, and it's been a lucky birthday for you, huh? I mean, it was your original birthday. That's just it. I mean, I think. And so, it, how often does it come back? Uh, like once every five years or so, you know. Well, that's cool. I'll take it. I, well, I can't complain about it. Because the number thirteen is thought to be really unlucky in most places, except for in Italy. Apparently, the number thirteen is held as lucky because they say it's associated with the great goddess who is responsible for fertility. Okay. Many Italians believe the number 13 brings up prosperity, and it is seen as especially lucky when gambling. The more you know. Dun, 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 dun. I've never had good luck betting on 13. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, welcome again to the 13th edition here. This is the Driving You Crazy podcast where we talk about traffic issues. We talk about transportation issues. Not only here, we are in Denver, Colorado, obviously. But we also talk about transportation issues and traffic issues all throughout the entire country. So if you're listening to us from somewhere else besides Colorado or besides Denver, then, well, hey, this this podcast is still for you. Uh, do you remember getting your driver's test, your driver's license, you know, taking your driver's test? Yes, I do. Well, this story is from our friends in the United Kingdom. More than 40 people were caught paying someone else to take their driving test for them every year. How is that even possible? In, in the story, it says fewer than half of the people who take the test pass the test the first time. So there's a problem right there. Uh, that could be the reason so many people hire someone else for the guaranteed success, right? But over the last five years in this story, it says more than 1,100 licenses have been revoked due to evidence that they were obtained fraudulently. Another 111 people were convicted of taking practical or theory tests, I think that's the written test, on behalf of others. Somebody's taking the written or the actual driving test for somebody else and posing as, I don't get that. Well. That, that's some pretty good trickery. Uh, last September, a man was given a two-year prison sentence after taking a series of car, motorcycle, and truck driving tests on behalf of other people. Don't you think the testers would not, wait a minute. Now your name is Dave? Wait a minute, now your name is Tom? Wait a minute, now your name is Ryer? I mean, let's give the criminals some credit. They must be doing something right to be able to get away with this for as long as they do. Do they not check real ID with real pictures to take the driving test? Can't you just picture them saying it? Like, oh, I don't have ID. I, I came down here to get ID. Is this happening here in the United States and we just don't know it? Is that, is, not, or is this a business opportunity that, that <laughs> we're missing out on? Yes. Not that I'm aware of with driving tests, but it would make sense, right? I mean, but you see it in college classes all the time. You have somebody show up to take the intro to psych cl- test for whoever they feel like, yeah. and they wind up making $90 a shot for it. I remember taking driver's ed in high school, and it was just because I, I was already driving early. I was, I was driving early, uh-huh. and so I took it just because it was fun, and you get out of school for a little while, right? You're driving around. Right. How great of a class Wait, is that? So your driver's ed class was as part of the school day. Yes. Okay, so my driver's ed class was in the basement of a 65-year-old man, and every time I would walk in there, he would be eating his dinner off a TV tray, and it would smell like ketchup and green beans and old people. And that's all <laughs> I remember about driver's ed was somehow surviving at this old man's house. The one? The one lesson I remember more than anything in my driver's ed guy, he said, it really doesn't matter. He goes, it doesn't matter how fast you're driving. Just make sure that you watch behind you when you're stopping 
if somebody else is going to plow into behind you. So I, I, I still always do that. And then I had another driver, uh, uh, some lady, right? Mm-hmm. She actually said she was a different driver's ed teacher. And she said she would be always freaked out and always would survey and study the tires on the semis as she would drive by them because at any moment they could burst and blow up and, and then hit your car. That is actually one of my greatest fears while driving. I won't lie. I'm not kidding. She was so flipped out about that, but the likelihood of that ever happening, I don't know how many. I've driven hundreds of thousands of miles in my life. I, I That's never happened. I've seen tires... Uh, the, like the remnants, the alligators on the road, right. but I've never seen it happen. I mean, it only takes one time, though, right? If it's a real serious situation, the one time you see it happen is also the last time you see it happen. Oh, Can I ask you? Yes. My wife is a teacher right now, has talked about becoming a driver's ed teacher. Given the chance, would you teach driver's ed? Yes. Really? I would love that. Okay. I would absolutely <laughs> love that. One, it would be terrifying. Which would always keep you on your toes, which is because I think the terrifying part would be super entertaining, right? Okay, okay. But I like being, I like in, I, I like being around kids and teaching kids. I, I volunteer in my, uh, in my second graders, uh, class at least once a week, and, uh, I do some other volunteer work at the school. So I, I like being around the kids and teaching them. Um, right now I help them with math, but I, I would love to do that. It would be fun. Can we turn this into a competition show where Jason tries to find the best teen driver in Colorado? <laughs> Or the worst. Or the worst. And then try to make him better. I support this. I'm pitching it tomorrow. Well, anyway. uh, You know how your dad envisioned flying taxis? Was that right? He looks like a genius now, right? He is a genius. Well, here's the big story this week that Uber created this new division called Uber Elevate. And they have teamed up with a 30-year-old NASA veteran aircraft engineer to create the autonomous flying car. Here it is. Can you say George Jetson? Here's George Jetson. His boy, Elroy, uh, probably was a terrible driver. Uh, well, no, because he had an autonomous little flying right. deal, right? He just napped on his way to the, work. The NASA engineer is no stranger to flying cars because back in 2010, he published a white paper outlining the feasibility of electric aircraft that could take off and land like helicopters but were smaller and quieter. Because to me, that's one of the biggest obstacles is going to be overcoming the noise. Because you can't have your your flying Uber show up at 4.30 in the morning to take you out to the airport and then wake up everybody in the four-block region, right? Or, or then blow over your neighbor's plants in the front patio as you're taking off. Right. You can't discreetly uh, do the walk of shame when you're... <laughs> lift home is a helicopter that's blown. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you can't do that. But Uber wants to eventually see people dropped off at its neighborhood Ventaports. Sounds like a Starbucks drink. Where where you would then pick up your airborne ride. So I guess you go to a place, kind of like a, I guess maybe just an elevated uh, uh, platform maybe, okay. uh, and then pick up your Uber ride there. Uh, but then e- even if Uber does create these self-driving vehicles or self-flying vehicles, there's so many additional issues that need to be worked out. I mean, you have traffic control issues, right? You have challenges when it comes to just the business model. Right. Well, there's barely enough space in the skies for planes not to hit birds periodically. How are we going to deal with drones crashing into planes? Well, if yeah. this becomes a serious thing where there's tens of thousands of these things in the sky just in this metro area. But, you know, Uber wouldn't be going through with this or even mentioning this if they didn't think there was good economic sense to do it. They're not going to start uh, spending money. Um, good money after bad if they think that this technology or this is not a feasible idea. Well, Uber for helicopters would be successful, right, to some extent. You wouldn't need a huge clientele. You just need a couple of people who use it on a regular basis. 
So this could be a step in that direction as well. What I'm envisioning is that if these vertiports are going to be at the top of 30 and 40 story buildings, you're kind of limited in where you can have them go to and from. But you could easily go from downtown Denver to what? Like the national. Well, we have uh, like on this building, we have a helipad. It's uh, right here where we used to fly in and out before we got rid of our helicopter. And our competition down the street has a pad too. Yeah, they still have one. So you could still use you know places like that that are still available, I guess. That, hey, you pop it down and then off you go. But I would think you would want to land it at a higher elevation because if you're landing it at street level, that's going to increase the chance that your noise disrupts other people. And you have wires and you have phone wires, you know, tele- the, the power cables, oh, right? I mean, you have, there's a lot of issues here. There, yeah, there's a lot of anyway. issues here. Well, because we've talked a lot about self-driving cars and flying cars. I think flying cars are pretty cool. Jetsons, obviously, is still so futuristic. But Is this is this more realistic or less realistic than Elon Musk's boring company that we talked about last week? Uh, I would say it's more realistic. <laughs> trying to, be- honestly, trying to make a tunnel in Los Angeles yeah. in hurricane, hurricane, in earthquake country, that's disaster. You're right. You're right. And, and to tunnel anything is super expensive. Yep. Anyway, well, and you, you know, we've talked a lot about self-driving cars and autonomous technology, and, and I was reading a story where the author was suggesting that once this technology is in every car, it's not hard to imagine that drivers are going to be charged more by their insurance companies for doing the driving themselves and not leaving it up to the arguably safer onboard computer as it does the driving, right? Well, because the technology would probably be built into the vehicle to not only drive for you, but then know when it's driving for you. Or if you're driving yourself and then send that information automatically to monthly report to your car insurance company, or maybe even it would send that data to your healthcare provider, think about that, and then they could charge you more money because you're engaging in a, quote, risky behavior because you're driving yourself, right? Well, autonomous cars could be incredibly convenient. I think they'd be pretty neat. But would it be too expensive to switch to manual driving? Unless it was an emergency. That's so bizarre to me to think about when you like the big brother implications of, hey, this car that has the onboard computer, that onboard computer is going to read all of your movements and it's going to let your insurance. It's it's babysitting you. Well, it is. But you you can get those little uh, plug ins from your insurance company now that uh, then send that information automatically to your insurance company to see how you're driving. And then you can get discounts on your insurance rates. Right. But the problem with those is that if you drive like a bus driver where you're making the stops kind of on the harder side, that little device is going to ding you repeatedly, even though you may be in perfectly good control and never get into an accident. And then your insurance rates are adjusted accordingly. Exactly. Uh, A recent poll by the Consumer Technology Association suggests that 75% of American motorists are excited about autonomous vehicles and an even higher number, 79%, that is 8 in 10, say that self-driving vehicles will be safer than human drivers. I mean, the evidence kind of bears that out from what we've seen. This seems like, and I wasn't alive for this debate but this sounds like this reminds me of what i would imagine the manual versus automatic transmission debate was like when automatic transmissions first came out you had a bunch of people at first who were like hey i don't know if this is a good idea and then the tide turns well i think a lot of people like the automatic transmission because it is more convenient for some folks especially women who don't want to drive and if you're doing uh drive the sticks i like driving a stick shift it's i my wife actually preferred driving a stick shift because we've we've both had them in the past um, I learned on a whatever crappy Ford Escort forever ago, which is the 16. right way to learn it, right? Yes. On a piece of junk, yeah. But and it, I I prefer to, to use a to use a stick shift, but obviously it's a lot more convenient, like autonomous cars could be, to use a automatic 
automatic gear shift. Right. You know? I mean, there was definitely a time where I could not picture I myself know. saying I would prefer autonomous to to me driving it myself. Now, yeah, put me in the driver's seat. Let me relax. Throw and my that's why on. I think they made some of those cars with those paddles where you can put it into the kind of shifting. So it can be automatic. Or it can be in the paddle mode where those little paddles are on the steering wheel. Right. And then you can sh- do some shifting if you if you feel like it. Yep. Uh, you know, this is this really is not a far-fetched concern because insurance companies are all about assess- assessing risk. Where teenagers, you know, they pay more. Single men, they pay more than married men. Drivers with lots of tickets or crashes, you pay more. So if your car is uh, arguably safer, if, if it's a safer driver than, than you are, then... It should get a better insurance rate than you do when you're driving, right? Well, I was reading some information about this topic from the Insurance Information Institute, and they say some aspects of insurance will be impacted as autonomous cars become the norm. There was, there, there's still, still going to be a need for liability insurance because people will, will still get hurt possibly, right? But over time, the coverage could change from you being the uh, policyholder to manufacturers or suppliers, or possibly even cities into taking the responsibility for what goes wrong in the autonomous car. Because if you're not driving it and the autonomous car is driving, then who's really ultimately responsible? Is it the manufacturer? Is it the city who set up the system? Is it the the system operate, you know, the the technology that lets the car drive down the roads by itself? I mean, that's going to be a mess when we first start dealing with it, right? There's no way around that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there in coverage for physical damage due to a crash and for losses not caused by crashes by, you know, the comprehensive stuff like wind and floods and other natural elements and by theft. It's less likely to change than the collision and the liability insurances. Right. The National Council on Compensation Insurance says the number of vehicle-related workers' compensation claims should also continue to drop as will the share of health care and disability insurance costs related to auto accidents with autonomous vehicles. What they're saying basically is if you drive for a company, then you probably won't have a workman's comp claim if you get into a crash with your work truck or with your bus or whatever it is because the vehicle is driving itself and there'll be fewer crashes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Insurance Information Institute also says initially many of the traditional uh, underwriting criteria like the number and kind of accidents a driver has had in the past or the miles you expect to drive and where the car is garaged, they could probably still apply. But in the make and model and style of your car, that's where they are going to change your insurance because you may or may not assume a greater risk because of uh, of the type of vehicle you're driving. So they're basically saying that they don't think every vehicle is going to come up with the same quality of autonomous software. Yeah. Right? I mean, they're saying, to make a cell phone comparison, Apple would probably be a $15 for your... um, for for the vehicle flat rate, but then if you have like a Samsung, it's twenty five all of a sudden. Or given the fact that Samsung's been dealing with all their mechanical problems, maybe that's a forty five dollar policy because just of the because fire issues with their batteries. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So you apply that to like Honda versus Mercedes, and maybe if you buy a Mercedes, their autonomous material is really good, so you only get charged ten dollars there. Whereas if you buy, sorry, Kia, a Kia, you're going to wind up paying triple that. And they say as cars become increasingly uh, automated, the onus really might be on the manufacturer to prove that it wasn't responsible for what happened in the event of a crash. One concern is that that switch in responsibility might be so expensive to the manufacturers 
and their suppliers, it might put them out of business if there are too many issues with it, like the Samsung uh, issue that you just raised. If so many people are, are driving a car that catches fire, like the Samsung battery was catching fire, they had to recall all those phones. Right. Then could it put them out of business? There was talk that Samsung was, was dinged pretty hard by that. So some say it should maybe be a no-fault auto insurance system. Um, which, is, which which changes the tort laws altogether. Right. This is so fascinating because do you think each individual car manufacturer tries to put together their own autonomous software or do they all farm it out and you wind up with like an Intel that is making the same software for 20 different car makers? And you know how in audio recording you have basically MP3s or WAV files, right? You, right. Have, you have basically the same. Well, look at how all the different uh, codecs and, and different conver- um, compressing software there is for video. I mean, between QuickTime and MP4s, and uh, for, uh, there's there's a thousand different ones for video. So Literally. is it every, like you said, every car manufacturer is going to come up with their own and we all have to figure out how to mesh it together? Or is there going to be one industry standard who everybody has to go uh, and fit into and then everything can can move safely right. through that way. Well, and which one do you feel more comfortable with? The one where there's only one central piece of software, and if hackers get into that piece of software, everybody goes down? Or do you trust the system where there's 30 different softwares out there, but 20 of them you're really kind of taking your chances? There, there's a lot of questions here yet to be worked out, I'm sure, with the autonomous thing. And when it comes to repair costs... That's going to change, too, because while the number of accidents expected to drop significantly, the cost of replacing damaged parts could increase because of the complexity of those components. So there could be more software and hardware issues inside the car uh, and parts of it that need to be fixed differently than, let's say, just now where you you put a new fender on on the car, right? Right. And, And it's not clear whether the reduction in the frequency of crashes will lead to the reduction in the cost of crashes overall. And, and how will body shops adjust to all this, right? Because you're not, let's say it's 50 years down the road, will body shops eventually say it's not, it's just too expensive to repair this vehicle and we're just going to junk them all? Or are they going to stay in business? Is Are there not going to be enough crashes to give them business so we're going to see fewer body shops and that industry will consolidate? That's a very interesting debate. I think you've already, at least in my personal experience, I think you've seen a lot of consolidation already because... The younger generation kind of just Googles whatever the um, big box auto body shop is instead of going to the local mechanics a little bit. And because of the way the technology works, you have to have the computer to look up the way the parts work together instead of the way it was in the old days where you kind of just figured it out like it was an art form. And so the artistry that goes into fixing those cars is kind of fallen by the wayside. And so you don't really need the independent body shops when you can just go somewhere that can punch in the numbers and fix it for you. And what about those auto – you know, uh, one thing I like to watch on TV are those auto auctions. Yes. You know, the, like the classic cars, the beautiful cars. I mean, to have like a 61 Corvette would be yep. – that, that would be perfect for me. <laughs> I, of course, I <laughs> – I can't afford it, nor would my wife let me buy one. So, uh, at least for right now, she would let you buy one if you could afford it. If I maybe if I could yeah. afford it, right? So, uh, but what about those kind of classic cars? So, is my car right now going to become a classic in twenty years, and people are going to want to put it in the auto auctions? Can you still drive it on the self-driving roads? How are you going to mix driving the older style, let's say, uh, an old nineteen seventy-five Cadillac? with a 2045 Chevy that's autonomous going down the road. Right. I mean, I think we can definitely see a point where the U.S. government says, all right, if you got a vehicle that's self-driving, we'll buy it from you, but you're going to have to take a discount. You can't use it anymore. How about motorcycles? Can they be self-driving? Would you want a self-driving motorcycle? <laughs>
You know? What's the point of that? Is well, that yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I These don't are know. all good questions. Good questions that we do not have time to answer for in this segment anymore, Joseph. Keep listening. Because it's time to take a quick break. Uh, coming up, we have the story of an uh, anal retentive police officer up in Canada who gave this guy a ticket for a very ticky-tack violation. It's a little bit ridiculous. You can hear from him next as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. If it's driving you crazy, it is driving us crazy. The mailbag is next on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Here's the deal, and here is the deal. This is the best newscast in Denver. And I'm not just being biased because we're on it, but we've got everything you need every single morning. We're fun, yet we're informative, and we get you out the door with what you need to know. Lisa Hidalgo, only on Denver 7. Hey, everybody. It's Eric Lufer with Denver 7, the morning show. Hey, watch us every morning, Monday through Friday, because, you know, I'm on it. Now, if I wasn't on the team, I would watch Denver 7 for the Jason-Lisa bickering that they do every, every morning. They're like brother-sister. I love it. It, may, it adds to the dynamic. We're just a great team, and it's people need to watch. Eric Lufer, only on Denver 7. Welcome back to the Driving You Crazy podcast. We can finally rest easy now, Joseph. We can. All the world's problems must be over. I say that because someone has had the time to figure out what kind of a car Homer Simpson drives. Okay. For the longest time, people thought Homer would drive his family around in a to- in just an anonymous family sedan. It's not. It's actually a 1986 Plymouth Junkerola. Okay. <laughs> the Junkerola really isn't a real car that Plymouth created, but the Simpsons car has a close relative in the real-life Plymouth Reliant. My first car, you see, has piqued me my interest because I had a Plymouth Fury that I bought for my vice principal in high school. I got it for 350 bucks. I spent 250 on a new transmission, and it was a great car. That dingy yellow. There was this fabric stuff that was on the inside, on the roof, that drooped down on top of my head. And, and it didn't matter how much of the uh, of that uh, uh, spray. So I had this uh, adhesive spray I would put in there and then try to get it to stick back up. But it would always just fall back down on top of my head. I am so glad that you brought that up because I definitely also had a vehicle that had a slit in the fabric on the top of the vehicle. And that fabric was constantly coming down and brushing against my head. But it was a bigger impact on the people who would ride in the back seat. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yep, we've all had one of those. Oh yeah, it was it, you know it was a crappy, dingy car, but it actually ran great, and it, it was good. It was a good first car. That's all you can ask for out of a first car is that it runs okay. It's cheap. It's not too ugly. I drove a blue minivan for a solid six months when I first got my license. I eventually uh, crashed that car. Oops. Um, and then my grandmother gifted me a little red Ford Fusion with a wing on the back. It was Whoa. like a model year 03. Nice. It was 05. I crashed that too. Uh, and then I had uh, the 99 Volkswagen Jetta. It was the last year that the Jetta was the box model before they put the curves on it. So it was a really unique car, and I really enjoyed driving it. And it played the little whatever song when you turn the ignition on, and I crashed that too. So I Three drive. crashes? I don't drive now, yeah. My dad used to keep track of how many times I'd crash the vehicle. Is that why you walk and you <laughs> don't drive? That's a big part of the reason. Because you're crash-prone? I've earned the reputation, man. Yeah, I'm definitely crash-prone. Maybe you should let your wife continue. Maybe, you know, as we talked about earlier, she was going to do driver's ed. She could teach you. She is a fantastic driver, and she's more than welcome to handle all the driving going forward, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) So last week when we had that ice storm that coated everything with ice around here, including windshields, right, we had a ace reporter, Jason Granauer, outside trying to scrape ice off a windshield. 
So I made the joke at the end of his report on TV that if he wanted to clear the ice faster from the windshield, he should just pour some really, really hot water on the windshield and the ice will just melt away. Well, the the joke I can I think fell flat on him a little bit uh, uh, during the I, on-air segment. I I have to stop you here. I thought that was a legitimate suggestion. <laughs> Did you really? So, and it I, was a joke. I understand the physics of it. Like, well, it would probably crack the glass. You put hot something on a cold piece of the glass that quickly, but it seems like it would make sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I actually said on air, uh, this is a joke. Please don't do that. Well, a day or two later, I get this email from a viewer who saw the segment, and it's Scott F., and he says, don't put hot water on an iced windshield. What you want to use is alcohol. So he's giving me now advice here. He says, yesterday's ice was too much for alcohol, but when you have ice underneath snow, you can use alcohol to loosen the ice. First remove the snow, then spray the alcohol on just the windshield, side and back windows, the mirrors too. Since it has a much lower freezing point than water, you can store alcohol safely in your car. Uh, I have found that the windshield will stay streak-free and much more clear than using the blue stuff. That's what this guy Scott says. Uh, he's, he says, I have started to mix alcohol, notice I say mix, some alcohol in the windshield fluid. Now, I've never tried pouring rubbing alcohol in the windshield reservoir. I, I presume he's talking uh, rubbing alcohol and not just like Trader Joe's whiskey of the gods, right, in into the blue juice? I'm not convinced of that. <laughs> Maybe he was enjoying some of the whiskey of the gods while writing me this email. I'm quite sure that alcohol is already in the blue juice. I know there's some kind of alcohol-based products in there already. I'm pretty sure that's how they can sell the cold-weather blue juice to go on your windshield, right? Uh, I'm not opposed to putting vodka in the blue juice. Um, If it works, I'll I'll put just about anything in there. Whiskey or tequila, I think, might be a little bit too sticky. Maybe pure alcohol like Golden Grain or Everclear could could work. I picture Scott F. with like a bottle of Moet champagne, and he just pops it and sprays the champagne in his windshield every time there's an ice storm to try right. to clear it up. I really wish I could put my spray glass cleaner. I have this spray glass cleaner. I wish I could put it in there into my – but it's an aerosol, so you so, – So it wouldn't work. So it wouldn't yeah. work into there, but it, I'm telling you, that cleans glass like nobody's business, no streaks or anything. It's amazing. Can I? I just want to make sure the listeners are aware that Jason has a very good sense of humor, and sometimes he will post winter driving advice on his Facebook page, and it's driving <laughs> advice like put screws in your tires at every tread, and then it's like snow tires. It'll it'll build tread for you if you just put some screws in your tires, and, and people. People take you seriously, man. Like, That's really the problem. Do. And some of these are are really, really they're ridiculous ideas and and senses of advice. And people will sometimes take them literally. So what I always have to do is put a disclaimer out there. I'm just saying, when you get sued by some New Mexico transplant, I said my piece on the podcast. because they were sitting in there putting screws into their tire to give them more tread like studs. All right. Well, anyway. All right. Let's check in with Judy from Denver. She writes to us, what's driving you crazy? Going to Kaiser's Franklin building on 17th Street going east. The city street signs are impossible to read until you're right on top of them. I have to turn left on Franklin and 17th and have missed my turn because the street sign was blocked by tree limbs. Why don't they trim the tree limbs blocking the street signs and make them bigger? The suburbs... Have much better street signs. And this is not just a problem in Denver, but this is a problem in a lot of places, especially in the south where you get some big old growth trees and they hang over road signs, that's right? A, that's Spanish moss in Savannah, man. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I've had the same problem on some downtown streets here, too. So some of the overgrown old growth trees, they have these branches that'll stretch out over the road, 
and when they're full of leaves, it's even it's even tough to see some of the road signs. So I drove that section of 17th Avenue to get a good look at the tree. Now, the tree is so large that the limbs, even without the leaves, it blocks the view of that overhead sign until you're right up at the intersection. So there's a sign on the—it's a one-way going east, and the sign is on the left side of the road. So for the person that's in that left lane— they're the, so it really all three lanes, you can't see that sign because that tree blocks it until you're right up at it. So I asked Denver Public Works about it, and they tell me that they're also working to ensure not only the street signs are highly visible, but they also want to help both the tree and the commuters, okay? okay. So in this instance, what Denver Public Works did is they told me the problem comes down to the city choosing to work around nature, okay? They say trimming that branch on the tree would damage the health of the tree. Because it's really up to the forestry office, and they're responsible for the trees in the public parks, and they're also responsible for trimming some of these trees. Well, the forester said that it's going to damage that tree if they start to cut it back. So what they're going to do in, in, it's to make everybody happy, make the tree happy and make the drivers happy, is that they're in the process of installing a second Franklin Street sign for the right side of the pole there. So you would see it on both the left and the right. So there'd be two signs up there so you know what street you're coming up to. So one was still going to be blocked by the tree, and the other one where there is no tree, you're actually going to be able to see that sign now, that street sign. Theoretically. So Yeah, so I guess putting up a couple hundred dollars street sign is less expensive and maybe less maintenance than trying to trim that huge tree, and then both the tree and the person, the commuters, the drivers, I guess, are both getting what they want, right? Interesting, yeah. So I guess it's a win-win for everybody, right? As long as you like trees. (laughs) And if you hate trees, then that story's not for you. (laughs) Uh, And this is my favorite story of the week. So there's this easygoing dude from Camrose, Alberta, Canada, And he's racking up an impressive view on his Facebook page because of his good-natured rant against the young Edmonton police officer who gave him a $465 ticket for having a slightly torn driver's license. Now, his name is Dave Ballet. They call him Handsome Dave. He is not handsome if you've seen his picture. Anyway, Handsome Dave, as they say, is the self-proclaimed motorcycle enthusiast And he fashions himself on Facebook as a pretty cool dude. Well, he posted this video of a story, of his story, and in one day, he had already over almost a half a million views, okay? So Handsome Dave says he was driving home when he he was pulled over. The police said that he had swerved on the highway, or there was a report of him swerving on the highway. So when the police pulled him over... He politely produced his driver's license, his registration. The officers grilled him about, hey, have, have you been drinking? Are you on drugs? And and when he wasn't, I mean, he was just driving along and maybe just, just went over a line a little bit. After everything checked out, Dave says that one of the young officers there had a bit of an attitude. And this is where handsome Dave picks up the story in his own words. He comes back. The young guy comes back. He says, I'm going to give you a ticket anyway, for uh, a mutilated license. I said, a mutilated license? I didn't even know that was such a thing. I said, oh, okay, whatever. I figured it's not going to be that big of a ticket. <laughs> Guess what? The ticket is for $465. I'm not paying it. I didn't go to the Crown Prosecutor. He can either toss it out, right, and I will get a new license that doesn't have any crack on it, or I will or I will uh, do go to jail for the weekend or however long it takes to pay off 465 bucks. Or I'll do community, I'll do fine option, do community service, whatever I got to do. Serve some, serve some soup or uh, fold some clothes, whatever. 
okay? But I'm not working. I don't have $465. Even if I did, I would probably, for this, you know what, policeman, you could give me, you could just give me a warning and say, hey, I can give you a ticket for that. But it does not, that little crack there doesn't even impede where my, my birth date, the driver's license number, or my address, or the expiry date, or my photo. Nothing that actually counts does it interfere with. So I think a warning would have been fine. Yeah, I think a warning would have been fine too. And you know, it's all right. So there's this little crack. Imagine holding your driver's license, and on the top left corner, maybe. I don't know, a quarter inch or so down, it is cracked. It is cracked for maybe a half an inch. And so you can move that top of the plastic a little bit. But like you said, you could still see everything that's on the license that's important. So all the media attention now of this video by Handsome Dave prompted the Edmonton police to issue a statement standing by their officer. The release says, quote, an officer has grounds to lay a careless driving charge under the Traffic Safety Act, which carries a penalty of $543 and six demerits, demerits. <laughs> upon speaking with the driver who was cooperative, the officer used his discretion to issue a lesser fine for a cracked driver's license under the Traffic Safety Act, Section 61, unquote. Now, the release says the police won't comment further, and it will be up to the Crown and courts to determine if the charge was warranted. So this officer, his biggest mistake was not just writing him the ticket for reckless driving, right? Well, like, so, like so there, was, was... there was an older officer and a younger officer, and the older officer said, look, there's, there's really nothing here. You weren't drinking. You weren't, dr- you weren't drugging. You weren't, I mean, you're just fine. You have all your pertinent information. You're just a guy driving down the road. Maybe you weaved a little bit. No harm, no foul. Move on. Maybe somebody thought he was a drunk driver, and, and it wasn't the case. So the, the more experienced older officer was saying, just go on ahead with your day. Well, the young officer has to find something wrong here and so he's the one who saw who got ticky tack with this whole thing saw the crack license and then wrote him the ticket that's what's going on here okay so i agree with dave and i think a warning would have been plenty sufficient plenty i mean it seems like another example of overzealous officers inserting their position of power over someone that that they really didn't need to at this point uh, i i respect law enforcement but I also think that some officers should show some common sense and treat anyone that they come in contact with really as their grandma. That should be the baseline. Treat them like your grandma. Would, would, would that officer give a ticket for a crack license to his grandmother, really? He probably wouldn't. But I think what this story comes down to is do you buy what Handsome Dave is selling or not, right? And I, I'm just not buying Handsome Dave's side of the story. Really? He got pulled over because officers got a report that he was swerving on the highway. Well, that seems legitimate, right? Yes. You listen to his soundbite, he sounds like he's cracked out. Sorry, Handsome Dave, but you do. <laughs> well, uh, that, that could also be some of the Canadian coming through. <laughs> that's definitely plausible. All I'm saying is if the officer, if, if the Edmonton Police Department is going to say that this officer had the grounds to write up a careless driving ticket, why didn't he just do that? I think we could all buy that Handsome Dave was driving carelessly. None of us want to see him get fined for this driver's license thing. No. That's, that's the, the problem. Yes, maybe that is the problem. But, you you know, but again, on both issues, sometimes have you ever just been a little bit distracted by the radio or whatever, or you just have a lapse of a lapse of your brain, and all of a sudden you you're across the center line for just a little bit, and then you're it's not you're texting or anything. It, it, all of a sudden, it just happens. You right? heard the first part of this segment where we talked about all my car crashes, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, I did. So, I, but 
so so some people were calling in and telling uh, the officers that this guy is weaving on the road. Well, how reliable are the witnesses? That's true. That's a very true point. I think without seeing the moments leading up to it, you kind of have to give Handsome Dave the benefit of the doubt. I'm just saying I listened to the sound. I'm not sure if I buy what he's selling. Handsome Dave does sound a little bit whacked out. May I don't know if he's if he does that sort of thing or or whatever. It is Canada. Handsome Dave can turn into Crazy Dave real quick. You, <laughs> you think so? I think so. You should have seen the video. <laughs> well, Joseph, I think that's all the time we have for today. It's time to go enjoy the amazing spring-like weather we have here in the middle of February. It could sometimes happen around here in, in, in Denver, especially along uh, the Front Range. It, it could be either in February 20 below or 70, and I'm glad it's nearly 70. Amen. It is. It feels like spring. It is really amazing outside. It's fantastic. It's Mother Nature's way of saying, don't forget where you live. It's going to be snowing in three weeks. That's the funny thing. It's, it's 70 degrees down here, and it's snowing like crazy in the mountains where they're getting dumped on like a foot up in Vail. Yep. So anyway, thanks again for listening. Thanks again for contacting us. The uh, email is G is uh, uh, what is it? Driving it's you a- <laughs> crazy podcast at gmail.com. There you have it. We're also on the Twitter and the Facebook and all that other stuff. And I have my fa- Facebook Friday broadcast that we do every Friday at 9 a.m. on uh, the Denver 7 Facebook page. So you can check that out. I'll be live again on this Friday. So again, thanks for listening and subscribing. Until then, I'm the traffic guy, Jason Luber. I'm the overnight producer, Joseph Peters. Stay safe. And as always, happy motoring. Thanks for listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast. 